Hello, everybody, and welcome to Cross Examination, a podcast for curious Christians confronting complicated questions. My name is Kale Prindle. So it's been almost two years since I've recorded anything on this podcast, a year and a half since the last episode came out because it took me six months to edit that last one. But I'm back, and uh, I don't necessarily like why I'm back, but the world is a bizarre place, and I don't love it right now. So, depending on when you're listening to this, if you're listening to it as I'm putting it out, then you know exactly what I'm going to be talking about here, because I'm recording this on June the 2nd of 2020. The last week has been nutso. Because you have the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis after a police officer knelt on his neck for over eight minutes. There have been protests for seven days in a row all across the country. And a decent number of those protests have turned into looting, rioting, and vandalism. And as you can imagine... That is a perfect cocktail for a lot of voices to start being thrown around and there's misinformation and misdirection and mischaracterization and all sorts of stuff. So what have I been doing? Well, in the last week, I have been trying to do just a single social media post every day on Facebook because I am uh, I'm an old enough person to still be on there. And it's where a lot of people are that I don't actually know where they stand on this issue. I don't bother putting things on Twitter. Like, the people I follow on Twitter and the people who follow me, they know what I'm about. I know what they're about. It's kind of an echo chamber, if I'm being honest. But Facebook, despite the algorithms that usually keep me seeing the kinds of things that I agree with, is, uh, it's a battlefield. It's a battlefield, and I'm trying my best to reasonably and lovingly help people understand what's going on, why this is a big deal. And so, yesterday, I posted something that was very simple. It was just like, this is the stuff that's in my head, and I, and I went through a bunch of stuff that was just still in there, like after a week of protests and, and all the stuff I said before. Said, this is all what's still sitting in my brain. And a friend of mine said, you should be doing this on a podcast. And then another person's like, I agree. You should be doing this on a podcast. And then a third person is like, yeah, do it. And then a fourth person. So I was like, okay, well, what do I have I could do this on? Time to dust off cross-examination. So here I am to give my take on these things. So, if this is your first time listening to cross examination, what a weird time to hop in. But here's a little bit of what I've done in the past on this on this podcast. This is a podcast I made specifically because there are issues in Christianity and there are issues related to the church that are so difficult to deal with. Like they're hard to think about and they're hard to know how to handle and a lot of times the issues I want to talk about and discuss are issues that, quite frankly, are big enough that people will leave the church because of them. 
So this seemed like the perfect place, the perfect avenue to bring in today's topic, which is going to be a three-part series. I don't know how long the episodes are going to be. I hope they're not too long because so far I'm not paying to host this anywhere and I only have two full hours left on my Podbean account to fill up. So hopefully I don't go too off the rails. So what is a three-part series? Right now I'm calling it Counting on Christians in a Crisis. Part one, History and Victimhood. Part two, to come out soon, False Idols and False Prophets. And part three, The Great Decommission. And in each of those different parts, I want to talk about what it is about the Christian church and how it's responding to what's happening, why that is a problem, and honestly, just to give some explanation to what I think and, and, and how I think it's all connected to the divine work that is going on all the time in humanity. So that's what we're in for. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Let's just get to the good stuff. It probably goes without saying, but I should say it anyway. Obviously, this is going to be political. Not not political in a way that I'm just going to lean real hard into one partisan point of view and trash the other side. But it is going to be political because what we often forget a lot of the times is everything is political. Everything we do, every action we take, every statement we shout out into the void is an argument. And when you make an argument, you're challenging something or you're trying to maintain the status quo. So for me to hop on here and talk about how Christians should be or how I think they ought to respond to a crisis, it will inherently be political. Maybe it's not actual government politics, but it's certainly church politics and how we function and how we move. So that should be a given. Of course, I'm going to try to play fair, but I mean, I had opinions and people are like, you should record it. So that's, it is what you're going to get. That That's, again, it should be obvious. Um, as I've said in previous episodes, I'm not a pastor. I am not a person who is the most, you know, top-notch expert on certain things. I'm a person who thinks a lot and some people want to hear it. So it's going to be political. That shouldn't be a bad thing. Buckle up. Here we go. Here's my problem. A week ago, a video came out that showed a man lying on the ground. His hands were cuffed behind him and a police officer was kneeling on his neck and he stayed there for over eight minutes. The man dies because someone knelt on his neck for over eight minutes. Instantly, people are upset. They should be. Because we count on our police officers to help people. That's what it should be. You can go back to when you were a kid and you first saw the cartoons. It was like, and now we're going to meet Officer so-and-so. And then you meet him and it's like, hey, Timmy, anytime you need help, you just call 911 and we're going to be here. And we have, we try our best to encourage people as they grow, like the police are our friends. They are going to protect us. They're going to help us. 
But here's the problem. Somehow the reality of our world is not that. And there are a lot of reasons that other voices can speak to better than I can. But here's what becomes simple. And something that I've been saying in my post recently, and I've been trying to tell people when I talk to them, police brutality is not a new issue. And it's an issue that people have been talking about and trying to bring attention to for a very long time. I always point out the two most recent, like, big movements for this, which is in 2013 is when Black Lives Matter became a thing. And there is nobody in the United States who doesn't know about Black Lives Matter. Everyone knows about it. And that was seven years ago. I can go a little bit more recent and talk about Colin Kaepernick, who started kneeling during the national anthem at his football games to bring attention to police brutality. That was four years ago, and there's not a single person in this country that doesn't know about it. So this is crucial to me. People knew about this issue. They knew it was a problem. They knew that people had been trying to draw our focus, draw our energies, and say there's a problem with police brutality. Black men are being victimized. They are being abused. They are being killed. And we need to do something about it. And so what happened last week with George Floyd was a very clear picture of all of the things that people have been telling us for four and seven years. And those are just the most recent examples. This is an issue that goes way back. You can go back, you know, I think of the 80s. I think of Public Enemy coming out and 911 is a joke. And I think about Fight the Power. And I think about, you know, these great artists who have been telling us for decades that there is a problem. So now we see the problem in action. We see a man die But what's weird to me is now, a week later, I'm looking around and I have to ask the question, why is there not universal condemnation from the church? Because what I'm seeing right now is there are a lot of people who say, oh, it breaks my heart. Oh, this shouldn't happen. Oh, I'm going to pull this Martin Luther King quote and post it and I've seen the term virtue signaling showing up a lot I don't have a problem with virtue signaling not not personally I absolutely understand why people would be annoyed by it it's just the whole entire concept like oh so what you're trying to show that you have virtues like I know that's overly simplistic but like I want to do those things too I want to put out there and say oh people are you watching We can do better than this. Where is our virtue? So, fine, I get it. But then the big development, which is not that a man died. The big development seemed to start after the protests. So George Floyd dies. It takes a few days before the officers are arrested. And in the meantime, people start staging protests. And as the protests start to happen things get out of control. They become aggressive. There are people spray painting buildings. There are people breaking windows. There are people setting fires. So the first one in Minneapolis, they gathered peacefully at the spot where George Floyd dies. And then they march, or is it a different group? It's foggy. That's the biggest problem right now. Everything is foggy. It's hard to keep track. And people 
seem convicted to know exactly what happens, but what we do know is a group goes to a police precinct and eventually all the people in the precinct leave and it is raided and set on fire. There is a rage about this injustice that a man is dead before he's charged, before there's a trial, before any of this. But once you introduce aggression into this narrative, that's when I started to see a big shift in how Christians were responding and how white people in general. But this is a podcast for curious Christians, not necessarily white people who are trying to figure things out. So I'm trying to keep it on the Christian track for now. So why is there not universal condemnation? Here's what I'm seeing now. What I'm seeing now is people are, are and they've been posting nonstop. I love seeing it. I love seeing that people are posting things and they're trying to bring awareness and there are people trying their darndest to show to people this is what has been talked about for years and we didn't listen. This is why people are angry, but we didn't listen. This is what we should be doing now, but nobody listened. Well, in response to that, I'm seeing a few other things. And the thing that set me off yesterday, as it did for a lot of Christians, is President Trump goes to the church across the street from the White House and has his picture taken as he holds a Bible. If you've seen the picture, I don't think it matters which political side you're on. It's a weird picture. He's holding the Bible in a weird way. He looks grumpy as ever. But a lot of people are upset and they're saying, oh my goodness, he is just using religion to touch, to, to get in touch with his base, to, to rally his supporters because Trump inexplicably seems to have the support of so many Christians. We'll talk about that during our false idols and false prophets episode next time. But what have I seen? People have posted and said, that's not okay, the way the president's doing that. And what I've seen people say is like, hey, he's putting God first and we need God right now. And I've seen more thoughts and prayers happening, like more of those phrases. And then the one that irritates me for a different reason are the people who completely redirect outrage to a completely separate issue. I can't believe we're doing this. The man was a criminal. What about unborn babies being killed? And so while the country's on fire because of systemic racism and police brutality, some people stick to the same issues they always stick to. How did we get here? There's a video of a man dying, and we've been warned about it for years, and there are some Christians who don't seem to care at all. Now, they would never say that, obviously. They would say, I'm not racist. They would say, I'm not prejudiced. I'm here. They'd say, all lives matter and not understand why that's a problem. We'll talk about that another time, too. So here's what I think is going on. American Christianity has a problem. And the problem is that it is very accustomed to playing the victim. Christianity in America has played the victim for a very, very long time. And that's what I want to explore for the rest of this episode. The history and the victimhood. So let's be honest about the, the history of Christianity. 
as someone who grew up in the church, I heard this kind of stuff all the time. The church was persecuted, which is not wrong. It's not that they weren't. It's a true statement, but we spend a lot of time talking about it. The Romans throwing Christians into the Colosseum to be eaten by lions. Temples being torn down. People being killed for their beliefs. We talk a lot about martyrs. I became a teenager. I was in like middle school, getting into high school in the 90s when DC Talks Jesus Freak came out. And with it came the uh, DC Talks sponsored Book of Martyrs. Oh my goodness, I read so much about that all through high school. We were told very clearly growing up in the church that the world is hostile towards you, the church. As someone who grew up as a Seventh-day Adventist, the other story we heard a lot was about the Waldensies, a group of people who would like secretly pass around Bible texts and they kept the word alive during a time when it basically was close to going extinct. So in our, our history of Christianity, there's a lot built into it that we are taught all the time that Christianity is always under threat. People don't want it. They're trying to eliminate you. What we don't get talked to, told about near as often, which is also historically accurate, is the other side of Christianity throughout history. We don't talk about how Christians have excluded different groups. We don't talk about how people have wielded Christianity as a force of control over massive populations for centuries. And we don't talk about the violence that Christians have done. Now, some people do. Usually when people argue against Christianity, they're the ones who bring it up. Like, how are you in a religion that says it cares about love, but you are also in that same religion that's responsible for the Crusades? Good question, good point, good argument. It's important to understand that. Christianity has as complex of a history as any individual human being. There is good in it and there is bad in it. It has had rough times, and it's had prosperous times. It has had its ups and downs. It's played every role you can possibly imagine. So then we come to the United States. And the story of American Christianity takes on a little bit of a different role. Not just that we have been persecuted and there have been martyrs, but when pilgrims come to the United States, American Christians quickly assert that it means that the United States is a Christian nation and that it was founded as a Christian nation, that that's who we are at our core as Americans is we are Christians and God wanted us here and God was ready to have us be his light to the world. As far as I know, Jesus told everyone to be the light in the world, not just America. But because Christians have kind of misconstrued the origins in our country, yeah, there were people who came here because they had religious persecution in Europe. Absolutely, that existed, that happened. But it's not the only narrative. So what happens when you get to the U.S. is you have Christianity take a very different role. People can talk about 
the persecution element. They can talk about the threat to the religion. But once America happens, it seems like the dominant use of religion is completely different. Because now, the people who have settled in America, the people who are creating this new country, the ones who are utilizing slave labor, the ones who are committing genocide against Native Americans, the ones who are completely throwing this continent into an upheaval, they're Christians. And they used the Bible and they used Christianity to keep and hang on to their power. Now, some of those lines and quotes, they're beautiful, they're inspiring, and a lot of patriotic Americans, especially ones who love those early American years, love to lean on those. But there's a reality here where, yeah, when slavery was a thing, people used the Bible to justify it. When we were kicking people off of their native lands, we would use the Bible to justify that. As a teacher, I love working with uh, the play The Crucible with my students because The Crucible is a wonderful example of this. Because The Crucible is this idea like something is wrong and it shows how easy it is for people to manipulate reality bring in the power of the church and completely subdue and crush anyone that you need to get rid of. And that's stuff that happened in this country, and we need to admit that it happened in this country. But we usually don't. Because again, this is not the stuff that people growing up in the church get talked about a lot. Like We don't have a moment growing up as a Christian where we say, hey, just so you know, we love Jesus, Jesus loves us, but... People have used the Bible in some terrible ways. Here's some terrible ways that people have used the Bible that might hit really close to home, but we need to talk about it. We need to talk about why that's not okay and why that's not right. That's not a part of growing up as a Christian, or at least it wasn't for me. And I don't think it is for most Americans. Somehow along the way, the messages of love and grace and mercy were completely done away with. And something else took its place. Somehow, Christians went from much older times being the ones persecuted to being the ones who became oppressors of other people. They rose to power and they kept the title of Christian. And then when things would not, when things would not go well, they would say, hey, you're going to go against God on this one? Now, they might not have said it that plainly. No one ever does. That's how rhetoric works, right? Is nobody is so blatant that you could easily spot and be like, oh, that's evil. But it is what we do. And it's what we have done. We have used Christianity as a response to fear in many cases. So when the colonists first showed up, I can understand to some extent the use of religion to kind of steamroll over things. You're in a brand new country. There are people out there you don't understand. You don't understand their language. You don't understand the customs. It's completely foreign to you. You're surrounded by wilderness and who knows what kind of noises in the middle of the night. You are going to turn to an authority, to a source of power. I don't fault people for their superstition. Not really. I only fault the current us for not calling it 
superstition. When you look at witch trials, I think most modern people would agree, oh, those were a bad idea. And we can agree on that. But here's the deal. Some of the things that were done under a Christian flag, we have celebrated for centuries without taking a good, hard look at what's really going on. I didn't understand this until I started student teaching for the first time. And for the first time, Columbus Day came around and no one was saying, hey, yay, Columbus. Instead, people were like, oh, Columbus, you mean the guy who's responsible for opening up the transatlantic slave trade? And I said, burr, what are you talking about? Because my education did not talk about Columbus in such ways. I think when we're honest about how we got to where we are, we need to recognize that we haven't even collectively tried to be honest about our history until very recently. And not all of us are on board with it either. I, I love Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday, but it is one of the easiest ones to get sucked into a weird debate because what we understand now about colonialism is that a group of people showed up and kicked people out of their house. They kicked them off their land. We devastated their population with disease, a lot of times intentionally. We made deals with them and we broke deals with them. That's the story of starting the United States of America. But Thanksgiving has woven its way into our collective national consciousness as peace and love and understanding of each other. And I think that's really important to remember right now because right now part of the discussion and debate that's happening is that there are people who are saying, I'm not racist, I see no color, everything's fine. That doesn't help at all. Just like it doesn't help to deny Native American genocide because you like the picture of pilgrims and Indians, air quotes, sitting around for Thanksgiving. We celebrate colonialism in America. We celebrate the idea that white Europeans could come to a country that was inhabited and conquered it. And maybe back a ways, we didn't have the way to think about these in new ways. I tell people all the time, when I was growing up, we were not talking about colonialism in bad ways. I would still play cowboys and Indians when I was a kid because that's what my parents played and their grandparents played and that got passed down to me. They did, there was not a voice that was clear enough and prominent enough to tell us why that could be problematic and wrong. But we're at a point now where people are telling us and we should recognize. So why aren't we? That's still the question. Why aren't Christians universally condemning what's going on? So where are we now? We live in the era of culture wars right now. The United States loves being the United States. It thinks it's better than almost everywhere. And of course, that's a generalization. But also, that is what our current president ran on. That was his message. It was, we're going to make America great again. It was America first. It was, our people are more important than other people. That was the message. That's why when refugees come to our borders, 
he has not been like, hey, you're hurting and you're struggling and you're scared and you need help. Come on in. Obviously, he has not done that. Something has happened and we have become chauvinistic in our culture. And when you tie that into Christianity, it becomes very unappealing. Somehow, throughout the 20th century, Christians have felt that they've been losing their grip on society. And I do mean losing their grip because the United States was in the Christian grip for its entire history. And I would argue it still is to a large extent. I think what happened is we got to a point in American history where if you were a white Christian and you were living in prosperity, all you wanted to all you wanted to do was conserve that world. And when I think about some older generations, especially coming out of like out of the depression, out of World War II, and they get this giant economic boom that takes place in the 50s and beyond. And there's all this wonderful, like, hey, things are going well and they're going well for us. Yay, America, we got it. But what happens? We get to the 60s, Vietnam happens, the civil rights movement happens. New voices are heard. Voices that challenge the American narrative and challenge its identity and says it's not been as great as you think it is. It is not equal for all of us. You say that this is an amazing, wonderful country. I say this is the country that has wrecked everything for me. And those are the people who wanted more rights. Those are the people who wanted to come forward and say, what about me? Whether it was students saying, hey, we don't need to go to another country and fight a war that I don't believe in. That was an introduction to new voices. And of course, the voices that say, it's been 100 years since slavery ended and we do not have the same rights as you still. And here's what happens. When you introduce new voices to the narrative, it's very difficult to maintain control of a single story. The story of the United States as a God-loving, God-fearing country becomes complicated when the other narratives that come out is these God-loving, God-fearing people put me in chains and beat me and treated me like an animal and they did it while holding a Bible. That narrative is damaged when you point out you thought that this was your God-given land and you thought it was okay to hand out blankets with smallpox to eradicate a population of people who had been here for centuries. It destroys the narrative when you hear more voices. And that's dangerous for the people in control. It's dangerous for the people in power because if you can control the story, you can control everything. Words matter. Stories matter. These narratives matter. But those narratives are being shaken. And with those narratives being shaken, people's identity are being shaken. I think what's happened for Christians is their identity is shaken in a weird way because for them, America has still been prosperous. 
And now they're hearing more voices. And you know what? Some of those voices do not have the same beliefs as them. And some of those voices are saying there are some things that are okay. And Christians have spent forever saying it's not okay. I really like movies. And I think film history is fascinating. It wasn't until 1968 that we got movie ratings. And what happened before 1968 is if you were going to put something in a movie, the studio had to check off on it. And so that's why before the 60s, you never had a sex scene. That's why people always smoked. (laughs) It was like, it was a stand-in for, we totally got it on. But they couldn't show it because no studio would check off on it because the rest of the culture at that point, conservative Christians would be like, no, you can't do it. 1968 said, you know what? You can put whatever you want in your film, but just so you know, we're going to tell people That when you put this movie out, we're going to put a big X on it. And it's going to be rated X because it's going to be too violent and too vulgar or too sexy. And people were willing to put their art and their stories and their voices into theaters without the usual filters. That's just one example. There's a lot of ways that people have democratized information. As you keep moving forward, especially by the time you get to the 90s and into the 2000s, you bring the internet into that, you cannot stop the voices anymore. They're everywhere. And I think that's why we see so much change in the last couple of decades. Same-sex marriage becomes legal. Why? Because LGBT people have a voice And they can express themselves and say, this is what life is like for us. And we are here and you are making life so hard for us. Why can't we just marry a person? And it changes. There's a lot of situations like that. And I think ultimately it makes a lot of Christians very uncomfortable. And I think what it does psychologically is it probably puts them back in the spot where they feel like they are the victim again, the spot where they are being persecuted somehow. My favorite thing about all of this, of course, is Starbucks cups, because there could not be a dumber thing for Christians to get upset about. I'm upset that when I go to get my frou-frou coffee drink from this giant corporation, They don't say Merry Christmas to me anymore. Who cares? I don't expect people to say Merry Christmas to me. That is a privilege. That is a privilege of being a part of the dominant religion of this country that for the entire existence of this country has said, your religion matters. And it was the only religion that mattered for the most part. When people changed to happy holidays, it wasn't because they were against Christians. It's because they finally heard enough voices and heard enough stories like, oh, yeah, there's lots of holidays that happen right now. I should probably not hold one religion over another. That's equality, which I'm pretty sure is an American value. So we have these weird things that Christians get very upset about. When same-sex marriage is made legal... That's so different from Christians. They're like, whoa, whoa, Adam and Eve and man and woman. And it's a different story. It's a different story from another group of people who never said that they believe the same thing that you did. But Christians were very used to running the show. 
they had the dominant voice, and now there are new voices. I think what happens when you start getting more and more voices, when we truly allow people to choose, which, by the way, is absolutely something Christians want for themselves. We say it all the time in our, serv- in our sermons that God gave people the freedom of choice. So we want freedom. And in America, we want freedom. But I think when Christians start to allow everybody to have freedom, all of a sudden they have to really examine what it is they really love what it is they really support. And somehow that has become the thing they love the most is feeling right and feeling victimized, feeling like, oh, dang, you don't, I'm not special like I was. Now, if, we, if, if all of Christianity was just a single person, I would absolutely understand that this would probably trigger somebody's trauma. Like, oh my goodness, when I was little, they tried to feed me to lions. And then they took everything I believed and they were going to burn it all. Oh my goodness. And then at one point, I had to hide in the woods to keep what I believe safe. And then at one point, I was living in England and my religion didn't match up with the king's religion. So I left. I sailed thousands of miles miles away to restore and keep my religion. And now someone's going to take it again? Like if it was all one person, I could understand the trauma. But here's what's happened instead. Somehow, Christians took power in this country. And they never really felt like they had it. Instead, they are always on the lookout, scared just like the early colonists who were ready to burn some witches, scared that the forces of evil would overtake them. And so when someone says a woman has a right to choose, they say, don't you dare, because if we were in charge, we wouldn't allow that. And if someone says, I'm in love with a man, they say, but you're a man. No, not okay. Because they wouldn't have let it happen. It doesn't, it doesn't always align with their belief system. And it's fine that it doesn't align with their belief system. But the thing is, there's nothing that says that Christians have to have a chokehold on all things true. We're told as Christians to love everybody. We're told as Christians to spread the gospel, the good news that the what, what you do, the way you try to prove yourself, the way you try to uh, make yourself worthy to God, you don't have to do that. You're worthy because you're a human being that Jesus already died for. So you don't have to be controlling the world. You take that same love and grace and mercy and understanding that Christ had and you take it to people and you share it with them. Somehow, we miss that. There's a lot of biblical figures who complicate it, for sure. You'll see Paul write about expelling the immoral brother. So you get the sense like, well, if I see something wrong, I got to get rid of it. Or maybe you're reading Old Testament stuff that says, hey, those people do not believe the right way. Go kill all of them. 
But those are not the words of Jesus. Somehow in our culture, we have made Christianity strangely violent. I'm going to share one of my least favorite songs as I wrap up here. And I hear it sung in in children's Bible study classes, and it kind of makes me want to throw up. And the song is, We Are Soldiers in the Army. We have to fight, although we have to die. We have to hold up the blood-stained banner. We have to hold it up until we die. I hate that song. I hate it. There's another one that keeps the same militaristic imagery. It slightly changes on lyrics. Like some people say, I will never, or I can't. But either way, the idea is, I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. I don't know why Christians like to embrace military imagery for a religion that was created by Jesus, a man who was so against violence that when people came to literally kill him, he had to tell his own followers, put your sword away. What the heck do you think you're doing? Get out of here. Jesus was passive when it came to that. He was vocal in the face of injustice. When something was truly wrong, he was ready to fight for it, but he didn't actually fight. And when people came for him, he said, I'm the man. And they took him and they beat him and they rigged the courts for it. They drug him out to a hill. They crucified him. He died. And in a strange way, of course he did. This is the guy who told people, if someone hits you, you turn the other cheek and you let them hit you again. Because when you show people injustice, they will recognize it. I think Christians have had some injustices done to them throughout history. But I think what we're forgetting is that Jesus never asked us to take over the world. He never asked us to have a militaristic ruling over everything to make everybody believe the same thing we do. He said, share the gospel. Tell people they're enough. Show them love. He tells Peter, take care of my sheep. And he tells us all, whatever you do to the least of these, you do that to me. I don't know why more Christians aren't condemning the death of George Floyd. I think it's completely out of sync with the life of Christ. 
to sit by and try to dodge the issue or say we're not the problem or point to someone else and say, well, they're the problem because they're getting violent and aggressive because Jesus did not split hairs like like that. Instead, as Christians, we need to re-examine our history. Remember that we were once in the minority, that we were persecuted, that we were struggling for our rights. And we need to extend the strength and the compassion to those that still don't have those rights. I appreciate you listening. This went on longer than I meant to, because that's what happens when I start talking. Of course it does. So here we are at 45 minutes. If you listen to all of this, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I do want conversation. I don't want this to be one way. I hope that what I have to say is helpful. I hope it gives us a new perspective. And I hope that we are gracious toward each other. Don't just meme at people. Have the conversation. If you know me and you're a person who asked for this, obviously you know where to find me on Facebook. Um, If you want to find me some other way, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Prindle. That's M-R Prindle. And I hang out there as well. Thank you so much, everybody. Farewell, good people.